new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, and today by R- Race Rogers, who has been running some of our socials over the last few weeks. Uh, if, if you've been keeping up with Beaver Blitz on TikTok, our game day Twitter and whatnot, you have likely seen some of Race's work. He's doing awesome Awesome stuff there. Uh, I always get a good laugh out of out of some of the uh, the TikTok content. So um, we're glad to have him on here today as we recap Oregon State's heartbreaking defeat against USC at Research Stadium last night, Saturday night. Uh, that game was on Pac-12 Network. So not too many people saw the kind of fight that Oregon State put up, but it, it was a fight nonetheless, and and one that that definitely hurt to lose. Uh, Oregon State comes up short in that 17 to 14 upset bid against the number seven Trojans. Angie and Race, what were your uh, what were kind of your your instant takeaways and and thoughts and feelings after uh, after getting your your gut ripped right out of you? That one stunk. Um, but let me just start by saying how you know if you would have said that you're going to hold USC to uh, 357 total yards of offense and 17 points. Um, if I would have told you that on Friday before the game, you would have been pretty impressed because this was a team that was averaging 520 yards of offense, 51 points a game. Um, the defense showed up in a big way. I loved what we saw from the defense. I loved what we saw from Jam Griffin. Um, I thought he really kind of elevated himself um, on the field. Goodness, we have a whole show devoted to this, but my, my takeaway is that that game was right within reach and, and Oregon State let that one slip right through their fingers. Yeah, I mean, for such a low-scoring game, I feel like the term roller coaster describes it perfectly. Because this game was all over the place and a very winnable game for Oregon State. And it's a shame that this game was on Pac-12 Network and not a lot of people are going to get to see it. Because, boy, they proved they could play with anyone in the country. Like you guys said, the defense was phenomenal. If you had told Oregon State before this game that they were going to hold USC to 17 points, they would have taken it and ran. They would have been like, okay, we're going to do something. We'll score 24 We'll get three touchdowns. We'll do something to win this game. And, you know, it's it's a it's a loss that's going to hurt the team for a while. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of positives to be taken from this game. And Joel Klatt talked about something similar when he was talking about Kansas and how well they're doing. You know, before you learn how to win, you need to learn how to lose close. And I think you I think Oregon State is right on the brink where they're going to start beating some good teams if not this year, then certainly next year. And I think they've got a big win in them this year. I think the rest of the Pac-12 teams, Utah, Oregon, Washington, they need to be careful. I do think that in in the immediate aftermath of this game, we're seeing some of that national respect for Oregon State uh, kind of lingering. You know, Throughout the week, it had been built up as this big upset spot. Oregon State has a history of beating these highly ranked Trojans teams. And so while the game was relegated to Pac-12 network, it wasn't it wasn't like it was out of the national spotlight. It was still there. And even Sunday morning after after Oregon State comes up short, you still see the Beavers 
getting votes in the AP poll, checking in as the the sixth team out of there. So I think they're still, you know, one big win away from cracking the rankings for the first time in man close to a decade. Uh, and if they are to go on the road and do that at Utah next weekend, they certainly would crack that um, that threshold. So good to see that the respect is still there, even though Oregon State came up short. Uh, before the, the we, big, one of the big stats I just want to mention too, with the talking about the defense, was eleven quarterback hurries, um, two sacks and eleven hurries. I mean, but Carter, you and I texted during the game. Caleb Williams is is a Houdini. I mean, talk about an athlete. Um, he got out of the. I mean, he made those plays happen and turned them from a hurry to a an escape. So he's untouchable. I tweeted yeah. during the game. I said Oregon State's pass rush is doing a phenomenal job. They just can't touch t- Caleb Williams. They can't touch him once they actually get to him. And yeah. that's a testament to just how good he is. But they got plenty of pressure, just they couldn't finish it off. Yeah, we'll go in-depth into all of that throughout this episode of the Damn Podcast. We'll do our traditional game at a glance, uh, highlight some of the key stats from the game. We'll do the game flow rundown, hit on some of the key scoring plays, uh, the turnovers. There were a lot of them on Oregon State side. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on those. The good and the bad from Oregon State's perspective, um, update some of the, the injury notes, and then we'll revisit our keys to the game. But before we uh, take a deep dive, this is the first time Race has, has joined us here on uh, the damn podcast, so we got to give him a, a formal introduction here. Uh, Angie, you were uh, you were the one who identified Race as a uh, an addition to the Beaver Blitz team. So why don't you uh, do the honors here of, of giving us a little rundown and, and then we'll let race kind of um, let us, uh, let us know a little bit of what he's been doing behind the scenes. Yeah, I was really excited. I um, got a chance to talk with race this summer or maybe spring, I guess it was probably spring. And, and, you know, he asked us about social, you know, just like you, Carter, we need some the younger blood in there to help us with kind of growing this thing. And, you know, he asked if we had TikTok and I laughed because no, we don't have TikTok. And um, Instagram is kind of just there, but we don't use it. Um, and so he was like, well, let us, let us, let us produce some content. So him and his partner, Ben, um, created some phenomenal things. I mean, if you've seen the five top games against USC, that was on the YouTube channel. Um, we've had some fun. Those, the, the TikTok, as much as I despise TikTok, Race and, and Ben are doing a really good job. So um, just for some fun, light content. Um, and then we turn over the reins to the Beaver Blitz Twitter um, on game days occasionally. So um, it's been fun to see what they do and um, just excited to, to kind of bring some new um, energy and, and a kind of a new, um, maybe a new demographic to Beaver Blitz. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun working with you guys. Uh, we got a chance to attend fall camp too, which was a blast getting to see the team up close. And just to be able to produce TikTok content, Twitter content, YouTube content, it's been a lot of fun to, you know, kind of express myself creatively through video production. So, yeah, it's been great working with you guys. If you want to see any of our stuff, follow Beaver Blitz on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram, all three of those. That's where you can catch my stuff. And if you want to catch anything else that me and Ben make that's not about the Beavers, you can check out our YouTube channel, Synthetic Sports. We do stuff on mainly the NBA and college football, although we have some other sport uh, we have some other sports related stuff coming up so uh yeah and keep an eye out for plenty more beaver stuff too <laughs> gotta shout out synthetic sports that's where you can find the the countdown of oregon state's top five wins over usc that was a great uh watch throughout the summer as we were kind of getting ready to to amp ourselves back up for for another football season it was fun to go relive some of those highlights um, the atmosphere at Reeser last night i want to highlight this too because it was very reminiscent of that 08 game, of that 06 game, uh, where Oregon State did pull off the upsets of those highly ranked USC teams. Saturday night inside Reeser Stadium, man, that student section was full about an hour before kickoff. Uh, the gates open at Reeser 90 minutes before uh, game time, and and the students were sprinting into their seats. Uh, that whole lower uh, lower strip of the the west side at or the east side at Reeser was was full, like I said, about an hour before the kick, and then they were loud throughout. That was probably the loudest and, and most energetic student section I've seen at research since the 08 win, or or maybe a, a rivalry game in there as well, you know, Oregon and, and Washington. Um, the, the turnout's always good there, but how much did 
did that atmosphere come through on the TV side? I mean, was the did they have the crowd mics pump in? Could you could you tell? I mean, from what I had heard, it was like you know you look at it and you forget that behind the cameras there's an empty Nobody. stadium yeah. for construction. But but did that come through at all? Because that was probably the most electric atmosphere I've felt at Reeser in in a long long time. I thought I thought it did. Um, I thought and. The- they did a good job. We did not hear the Trojan band at all on TV. And I know that they put them up in the, up in the uh, rafters, kind of up yeah. in the wing section. Yeah, they, put them in yeah, the they were up in, they were up great. in Valley you know, View up there. Yeah. Put them in the cheap seats. Um, so no, we did not hear the, the Troy, the band, the Troy band, the USC band. Um, we also didn't hear, I couldn't hear the DJ music this time, which I did during Boise state. So um, I think the the fan crowd was, or the crowd was in it. I also liked how the orange, I mean, it was like, it seemed like the first time Oregon State fans really like embraced that and wore orange and the whole stadium looked um, pretty incredible. Nigel Burton was on um, Pac-12 net before and after halftime and him and Nick Aliotti both have a huge long time um, history with Oregon State, Nick coaching the Ducks and then Nigel actually coaching at Oregon State for years. They both said that was probably the best atmosphere they'd seen and, and Nigel was so blown away that that was only half the stadium. Yeah, I was I was genuinely shocked at how great the atmosphere was because I knew the twenty seven thousand ish that were going to show up. I knew they were going to bring it. I knew they were going to be loud. But I just wondered with that whole half of the stadium not being there, especially no noise coming from behind the USC team. I wondered, you know, would they have any trouble getting their signals in, getting their plays off? You know, how would it be at the line of scrimmage? And you could tell early. The USC offense was out of sorts entirely. They had to burn all three of their timeouts, I think, before the 10-minute mark of the second quarter. And after that, they still got another delay of game. They They should have had a bunch more because Caleb Williams was snapping the ball with zero on the clock. Yeah, they were completely out of it. So big props to the students for getting there early and making noise. And big props to the rest of the crowd for really bringing it, despite the fact that half your stadium is under construction. I was thoroughly impressed with the crowd last night. It did seem like USC's offense and Caleb Williams in particular were just genuinely rattled by the atmosphere. I think it was so loud in there that, um, you know, whatever their pre-snap communication was, it it just wasn't there. And uh, Race, you mentioned it. They had to burn all those timeouts and then they still get a delay of game penalty. So um, impressive there that that Oregon State was able to rattle them to that extent. And then, of course, with Caleb Williams starting one of seven passing, um, I, I, I don't think he was ever comfortable back there in the pocket. And obviously some of that was a testament to Oregon State's pass rush, which we'll we'll talk about when we dive into the defensive performance. But I think a lot of that came back to the crowd noise. Um, it was uh, it was it was loud before the game. It was loud during the game. And there was really only one moment late in that fourth quarter when USC converted on a fourth down and eventually went and, and scored that go ahead touchdown that it really got quiet. Other than that, it was uh it was a, a pretty fun atmosphere in there. And Angie, before we move on, the, the fact that you said you couldn't hear the DJ on TV, uh, that's it's interesting to me because they did bring in 40 new speakers for this game. They put them right above the press box and everybody in that press box agreed. Probably great on the other side of the, of the, of the stadium. It probably sounds awesome, but for us, we were rattling. We were literally shaking in the press oh, box. From okay, the so, but I think that would have been fun. But there are some kind of old curmudgeons probably that didn't like that. But I think that would have been turn that press box into a club. Oh, it sounds like a riot. <laughs> it's, it's only you can only have so much fun with that when you're trying to actually like work and focus True. and and gather your thoughts. It was uh, it, it created for a very interesting atmosphere. I'll say that. But uh, there were times where I was like, okay, let's let's dial it back a little bit. I'm I'm, I'm trying to you know I'm trying to get some work done, but. Um, I, I'm glad they they put in the the effort to increase the the fan experience there. But Absolutely. let's uh, let's let's dive into this game as it as it unfolded at Reeser on Saturday night. So a defensive battle. I don't think anybody saw that coming. The over under was set at seventy point five. The total was half of that, yeah. less than half of that at, at 31. Uh, if, if you bet the under, congratulations. Uh, if you bet the the Oregon State spread, like we know that so many people did with that information that came out from Caesars, uh, congratulations to you as well. Um, but it was two of the nation's top scoring offenses, and, and they were pretty much stifled, I think, throughout the game. Uh, you saw USC take three points into the fourth quarter. Oregon State obviously only scoring 14 for the game. 
Um, it was a, a defensive battle in a, in a game that most people expected, you know, first to 35, first to 40 points might win that thing. Yeah. I mean, seriously, we all talked about the offensive and, and USC having one of the best offenses in the country. And especially when you look at where Oregon State's defense has been over the past, what, six, seven, eight years. That was incredible. I mean, yeah. that whole, yeah, I, I don't think anybody could have guessed that it would have been 17 to 14 in the final. Safe maybe to say first, that, first quarter, maybe, but. Yeah, safe to say that's Oregon State's best defensive performance in maybe a decade. A decade. I say a decade. Easily. I, I can't think of anything better than this. Against an offense that good. Yeah, against an offense like that. Yeah. And it showed I mean, up in the stat book, too. So yeah. USC managed 357 yards of total offense, did eclipse Oregon State there. The Beavers only managed 320. So neither team was was moving the ball with uh, with any ease there. Through the air, I think to hold Caleb Williams to 180 yards and one touchdown is about as impressive as it gets. I mean, Oregon State kept a Heisman, a legitimate Heisman contender in check all night long. And, and like I said, he, uh, he started one for seven. He finished the game under 50% completion. So uh, the 180 through the air there is impressive. Oregon State, again, only managed 167 through the air. So it's not like the Beavers were, were capitalizing on that or anything. On the ground, USC led the way with 177 yards. Most of those went to Travis Dye. The Oregon transfer had a big game. Um, I believe he was above 120 yards and, and found the end zone as well. The Beavers managed 153 on the ground behind Jam Griffin and, and that three-headed monster with Deshaun Fenwick and Damian Martinez, too. Uh, defensively, a, a couple of notes. Angie mentioned the 11 quarterback hurries. I think that really jumped off the page to me looking at this thing. Uh, but the turnovers, uh, that was that was the difference in the game, right? I mean, four, four interceptions for Chance Nolan and, and none the other way. That, I think, was the decisive factor, right? USC scored 10 points off of turnovers as well, oh. so... Um, yeah, that, that was the difference. I and mean, we can, we can go into the start of the fourth quarter when, when Davey Martinez ran for the first down, put it first, it would have put it first and goal at the six. Um, and then Treshawn Harrison was called for that costly holding penalty that backed him up. Um, and then followed immediately by a delay of game that Beavers had to try for a 46 yard field goal that they missed. We can say, talk about that. We can talk about as race brought up that fourth down run. There was a lot of controversy, at least with Beaver fans on that run that, um, forward progress had been stopped and he had been moved backwards and the, the refs did not blow it dead and allowed that first down to happen. Lots of controversy, at least at Beaver Blitz, I'm sure not uh, <laughs> elsewhere, but, um, and then the holding or the, the interception, um, huge hold, you know, grab Jersey and all um, that showed up. But at the end of the day, the four interceptions is, is kind of, is the difference maker there. Yeah. And that had been USC's MO all season. They were kind of middle of the pack defense in terms of yards allowed. Not good, not great, but they had gotten 10 turnovers. And as far as I know, I don't believe the offense had turned the ball over once. So they no, were they relying on, they were relying on, and they still have it. Yeah. They've been relying on getting turnovers to get them extra possessions. And against an offense this good, you can't do that. And Chance Nolan, Boy, I, I, I don't, I don't want to crush him too much, especially for the very last interception, because there's 40 seconds left. You're trying to make something happen, but I'll crush him for that third interception. He just threw that up and said a nice little prayer because I know you want to make the big play that, you know, puts your team in the lead, you know, gets the crowd on your feet, but he just threw that up and hoped his receiver was going to come down with it. And Especially you after can't you do that with USC. You can't DBs. do that. No. And especially after you just missed a field goal, your defense gets you a three and out. They give you the ball back. They really need you to make something happen. And you just threw it right back to the Trojans. You, you know, throw it out of bounds, take a two yard gain on a scramble and live to fight another down. And see that Carter, this, I know we're going to talk about our keys to the game here in a little bit, but you know, one of my keys to the game was to run the ball to, you know, a protect against turnovers and to, you know, you, use the clock you had jam griffin averaging seven yards a touch i that it, it frustrates it's frustrating and then you know you do have a quarterback that has a penchant for throwing some some interceptions um but he's great with his legs i don't know we can we can discuss all that later but there, some questionable play calling i i thought just down the down the stretch but um who am i to second guess i mean this was a game that was right there it was within, I would argue that Oregon State actually probably had the momentum for 
probably three quarters of that game. And uh, it just, you win some, you lose some. I get the feeling that we're all kind of on the same page here, that it was the turnovers were really the only, it's really the, I mean, I can't say we're nitpicking here because yeah. turnovers are, are a huge element of, of every yeah. game, but it, I feel like it's the one element that we point to and say, you know, that, that didn't go Oregon state's way, but everything else was, was very solid. I mean, say what you want about, you know, maybe a questionable play, questionable play call here or, or a bad call there by the officiating. It, it just felt like Oregon state had this thing in control for so long and, and Oregon state executed on so many levels uh, saved for those turnovers. And and that's why largely I feel like the, the turnovers were the difference in that game. Uh, defensively, a, a couple of other numbers before we move on. Oregon State had eight pass breakups and, of course, didn't turn any of those into interceptions. I thought that was big. The yeah. Beavers were more often than not in the right place. Uh, they just didn't get an opportunity or, or didn't execute on opportunities to take it away. And um, I, I think, again, you know, a lot of that does, that's a credit to Caleb Williams. I mean, the, the, the guy's a talented quarterback and he's not going to put the ball in harm's way um, too often. But for Oregon State to to get in the passing lanes eight times, to pressure him 11 times, I felt like the defense was was there, but the big play just, just didn't come through. Um, in the pass rush, Oregon State racked up, we mentioned the 11 quarterback hurries, but also, two sacks, six tackles for loss. I mean, I felt like the Beavers were in the backfield, uh, didn't necessarily get home as often as they would have hoped to. But again, that comes back to just Caleb Williams' elite ability to escape the pocket with his legs. There's there's only so much you can do against a quarterback that Trent Bray compared to Marcus Mariota, who, of course, was a Heisman Trophy winner in his own right. Uh, but then on the flip side, Oregon State's offensive line does a great job in protection. No sacks on Chance Nolan, only three tackles for loss on the whole game for a talented USC front that we know has uh, has some four and five star talent. So I felt like as as far as pressure went and as far as uh, containing the line of scrimmage and winning the point of attack goes, I thought Oregon State, again, like it did last year against USC, kind of set the tone there. Yeah, completely. I was actually super impressed with Oregon State's front seven. I, You guys know I've been super critical over the past several years of, of Oregon State's defensive line, and they had their they manhandled USC's front several, several times, pushed them straight backwards, collapsed that pocket. Um, I was really impressed with, with Oregon State's defensive front. Yeah, they got to Caleb Williams, especially in the second half. He was running for his life in the second half. Almost every play – he had to run outside of the tackle box, make one or two guys miss, and then either throw it downfield or there was plenty of times he just had to step out of bounds and take either a one-yard loss or no gain because the Beavers, I mean, the front seven, they were all over him in the second half. It's just he's so elusive. He's so slippery. He's not like Lamar Jackson. Like, he doesn't have that breakaway, unparalleled speed. He's just slippery. He's hard to tackle. He moves quickly. He has, he accelerates and stops quickly. And they just, they couldn't get home on him. They got him once or twice, but there were plenty of times where he was backed up six, seven yards behind the line and they just couldn't get home. Let's go chronologically here through some of the key plays in this game. So we'll hit on uh, scoring plays, turnovers, and, and some other notes. And we start on the first drive of the game when USC takes the ball or Oregon state won the toss and deferred, which I thought was interesting. I yeah, felt like too. this was a game where, and Angie and I talked about this on Thursday, where if Oregon state won the toss, we both felt like, Hey, this is an opportunity to, to take the ball, try to set the tone, get USC off script and, and, you know, force them to, to play from behind potentially if you can score there, but USC takes the opening kickoff gets across midfield. And then a fourth and six comes up and the offense stays on the field. And Caleb Williams, throws an incomplete pass. There's a penalty on USC on the play. So, you know, everything there, Oregon State executes to perfection. And that's the first time USC was held without a touchdown on its first drive of the game this year. So four games in, uh, the first time USC hadn't started with a 7 nothing, uh, or, well, I, I guess it depends. Did they start with the ball in all three games? It, it was at least the first time that USC didn't have seven points after its first possession. Um, and I felt like that kind of set the tone defensively for the Beavers the rest of the way. Oh, completely. I, I think that that inspired me a little bit. They weren't, they weren't used to that happening. And I think it set the tone for Oregon State's defense as well, that they actually could, could dominate them. 
Yeah, gutsy call from Jonathan Smith because the last thing you really want to do is give a high-powered offense like USC into a good rhythm on their first drive. Uh, but that just shows how much confidence he had in his defense that, yeah, this is sure this is one of the best offensive offenses in the country, but I think our defense can stop them. And fair play to them, they did. Beavers didn't capitalize on that. USC eventually got the ball back, and then the first quarter ended with a missed field goal, 32 yards wide left from Dennis Lynch for USC. So you get a scoreless first quarter, and at that point, <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, okay, so uh, not as many points as I expected. I would imagine things are going to pick up a little bit here in the second quarter. Sure enough, they did a couple of minutes later as Deshaun Fenwick scored the first touchdown of the game for Oregon State, a four-yard rushing score at the 13-18 mark of that second quarter. And that was the first time that USC had trailed this season. So uh, a, a couple of firsts for USC very very early in the game and a testament to their slow start offensively, um, you know, being held out of the end zone on their first drive and then going down in a game for the first time. I said a, a big key to this game is going to be to keep USC off script, make them feel uncomfortable and um, get them out of the, the the routine and the rhythm that had won them the first three games. And Oregon State did a great job of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had two home games. Their their only road game came at Stanford, so they had already played one Pac-12 game. But we all know Stanford is not exactly a hostile crowd. So um, this was their first true, you know, hostile road game. And um, the fans showed up, and, and it did. The scoring early, keeping them out of the end zone, um, really did kind of set the tone for USC. Yeah, I mean, they just they didn't score on their first drive, first time all season, first time they played in front of a hostile environment. Because, like you said, we've all been to Stanford. It is not. Yeah. It it doesn't it doesn't instill fear in you if you're a road team. Um, I'll be there. I'll be there in two weeks, and I'm expecting that to be a, a quasi home game for Oregon State. Yes, exactly. It will be. It will be. A It'll quasi probably be home split game. down the middle, and the attendance will be like twenty five thousand. Yeah. Oregon State may have more fans than Stanford. Maybe That's possible. I mean, did you guys watch that game on ABC in that primetime spot and, and the Stanford crowd showed up with a couple of thousand? I think there were more USC fans there legitimately yeah. than Stanford. Yeah. Um, we can we can have the discussion about how that game ended up on ABC and and this one was on Pac-12 network, but but maybe that's maybe that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> I know I know on Thursday when we preview Utah, we're gonna mention uh, the fact that Oregon yes. State's, you know, back to back playing ranked teams on the Pac-12 network. And uh, I, I think with the way that that game unfolded on Saturday, you saw why we thought this game should be nationally televised. I mean, the ratings on that would have been off the charts, but and ESPN I digress. Utah versus Arizona State in a 30-point yeah. blowout yeah. instead. I mean, yeah. Nick Aliotti said after the game that might have been the best defensive battle he's ever seen, yeah. and that's saying a lot. And uh, another big defensive possession for Oregon State there after the touchdown – forcing USC to punt. And so you don't let the Trojans immediately respond. And I think Oregon State was was working towards building momentum there after uh, getting the initial score. That was the drive in which, as Ray said earlier, USC burned its final timeout uh, and then took a delay of game. And that was, I, I think at that point, was where I really felt like the atmosphere and the environment at Reeser was getting to USC a little bit. You know, that they didn't start the way they wanted. It was getting really loud. Um, and it just felt like USC was was out of sorts. But then, unfortunately for Oregon State, the first big miscue of the game, I think, shifted the momentum back a little bit. Uh, not necessarily in USC's favor because the Trojans didn't capitalize capitalize on it and, and tie the game. Uh, but Chance Nolan was intercepted by Eric Gentry. USC got its ball, got the ball at the at its own 34, and then marched down the field to to uh, take advantage with a 42 yard field goal. So. It didn't really feel like a huge swing there, but it did feel like, wow, Oregon State had a big opportunity to, to kind of not necessarily put it out of reach, but but take take real control of this game. And, and it just felt like they didn't there with that first interception. Yeah, that's and that's kind of where this game felt just because it was so defensive, um, a defensive battle. It just it didn't feel like kind of either team could get into any kind of good rhythm. There were lots of stalled out drives that interception. So Eric Gentry, I don't know, Carter, if you realized that guy is like six, six and has a seven, two wingspan. I mean, and he plays middle linebacker. So totally different kind of build. I mean, Oregon state would recruit him and have him play outside linebacker slash yeah. D and edge rush 
Um, interesting pick to have him in the middle of the field. And I have a feeling we're going to start to see a few more long rangy guys playing middle of the field because that ki- that guy got his hand on, we'll, we'll see his name a few more times here today. Um, got his hands on some balls, tip balls, um, big time difference maker for the Trojans. Yeah. sounds like a guy who could play like small forward in the NBA, six, six of the seven, two wingspan. And right. yeah, that interception didn't feel like a full momentum shift. It just felt more so deflating. It felt like Oregon State was finally, they had the momentum, they're up seven and they're driving and then you lose possession back to the Trojans. Didn't feel like a full shift because again, the Trojans didn't do much that they only got three, but it just felt like one of those moments. It's like, wow, like we had them essentially on the back heel. Like we, they were pushing them back, could have gone up by double digits and you miss out on it because of a great interception by, you know, the USC linebacker. So you know, tough play. Um, basically, basically, I think killed. I don't know. It's it's tough. I don't want to say it killed the the first like the early momentum for the Beavers, but it snuffed it out. Yeah, I, I will say the defense came up with a big play on that drive to force the field goal. So it was a man like a third and five, third and six, I want to say, and and Oregon State's defense showed a, a really unique front. So this was one of the plays that I kind of, I, I bookmarked mentally. You saw Trent Bray throughout a, a front seven look that I had never seen before. So two defensive ends down, you know, down on the line, they've got two uh, linebackers inside of them. And then Jaden Grant, a safety lined up in the middle. And so those three guys in the middle were just standing there, you know, like ready to, to run forward. And then you've got the two linemen down uh, on, on the outside of them. I've never seen, a defensive line set up like that, where you've got two linemen, two linebackers and a safety all on the line. Um, and it, it came out, it, it worked for Oregon State. I mean, they got great pocket pressure there. Caleb Williams, I think he might've thrown it away. I, I can't remember for sure on that play, but um, it was one of the, one of the unique looks from Oregon State's defense that we saw throughout the game. And, and something that Jonathan Smith said afterwards that, you know, they weren't necessarily vanilla in the first three weeks, but they they saved some stuff to to surprise USC, and I think that was uh, another thing that that really threw uh, that USC offense off. Oh, completely. I mean, we saw so many different looks, so many different blitzes, um, guys coming from all directions. Um, they were in zone a lot of the night, um, and they they ran that zone really really seamlessly. I mean, they highlighted a few times on the TV broadcast where. Um, Addison would be taking off, running a slant, and or Katon would be covered. Then he'd transition over to Jaden and John. Um, very solid plan. Okay, so we, we go to halftime at seven three. We're, we're losing you a little bit there, Angie, but I, I think you're back oh, now. Um, yeah, okay. so. A couple of a couple of stalled drives after that bring the the first half to a close at seven to three. At that point, we're thinking, "Wow, this thing is is nowhere near a shootout." Uh, Oregon State's defense is is looking dominant right now, um, but there were still things on on both sides that I think Oregon State wanted to clean up, uh, and and we saw that come to fruition in the third quarter. Before we jump into the second half, just want to remind everybody that the damn podcast is powered by BeaverBlitz.com and is the source for Oregon State football news throughout the 2022 season. Uh, Oregon State is now, what, a third of the way through the season. Beaver mm-hmm. Blitz continues to, to ramp up coverage. This was our busiest week of the season, uh, and we thank everybody for for jumping on board with us and, and subscribing uh, for annual subscriptions to beaverblitz.com. You've helped us grow our base to an all-time high. And on YouTube as well. Shout out to everybody watching us live on YouTube right now. Uh, you guys are helping us crush it over there. So uh, a quick plug for, for beaverblitz.com. And I want to let Angie promote something here because okay. I think we have a promo coming. We up. do. We have a promo actually right now. So it's Sunday. It will run through Monday tomorrow, um, the 26th, September 26th, tomorrow night. Um, so if you're listening and you're not, you're not a member of Beaver Blitz, you want to jump on. Uh, annual memberships are 50% off and it's upgradable. So if you are currently on a month to month and you want to upgrade um, to a annual subscription. You can get an annual subscription for about, I think it's 53 and some change, $53. So um, jump on. Um, we'd love to have you. Um, and just, I, I've seen on so many other sites, people asking for more coverage. They want more Beaver coverage. We had over 20, I think we had 25 unique pieces last week. 
And that wasn't even including the recruiting coverage that we offer. So huge, huge week if you want, and it's all Beavers and our opponents. So make sure you're there, um, check us out. And uh, the Lodge is the place to be as well for great discussion. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Special teams wasn't a huge element of this game. I know USC converted on a field goal. Oregon State missed one. Uh, but the punting game actually got really involved to, to open the third quarter. So Oregon State had to punt on its first drive. Chance Nolan actually pinned USC inside its own one-yard line with you know one of those little drop-back quick kicks. Uh, impressive from him because in the past we had seen him kick it into the end zone. I think he did that one time last year. Um, but this is two or three times now that that he has used that quick kick and, and really flipped field position. So I thought we should highlight that from Chance on a night where he struggled with with the ball at times. Of course, the four interceptions were were a big blemish on his line. Um, but but a guy who, who we know is going to make plays one way or another, and he did it with his feet there. USC then marched into Oregon State territory and punted the ball down to Oregon State's three. So they were playing the position the field position game there. Uh, for most of the third quarter. And uh, at that point, you know, you're you're getting close to the end of the third quarter. This score is still 7-3. For you two watching at home, what was the what was kind of the tension like at that point? Were you thinking, okay, this could be like a next score wins type situation? Because uh, I know at Reeser, it, it felt like, you know, whoever scored next was was probably going to um was was probably going to have the momentum at a key point in this game and and potentially uh, kind of kind of seal it. Race, you want to go? Yeah, I thought it was after that first USC punt when they got their first possession of the third quarter because, lest we forget, on their second play of that drive, Travis Dye fumbled on the one-yard line. True. And, you know, you would talk about how football is a game of inches. If you recover that on the one-yard line and punch in or if you recover it in the end zone, you're now up by 11 and you're probably on your way to victory. But, you know, the Trojans recovered it. And still, they went 13 plays and then had to punt it back. So they drove till about midfield, a little past midfield, took five, six minutes off the clock, and then had to punt it back. And when they punted it back, it felt like this is this is going to be a low-scoring game. Like, there's, there's no fireworks. There's no late surge of 20 points. There's not going to be – no, one team's not going to score 21 points in the fourth quarter. There's not going to be a late run by SC that blows this open or Oregon State that blows it open. You know, every point in this game is going to matter, and every point in this game did matter. And I sort of felt that after USC punted it back to Oregon State again. USC kind of turned things on a little bit at the the end of the third into the beginning of the fourth. And again, it was a, a chance Nolan interception that swung the momentum back in the Trojans' favor. So uh, Oregon State's got the ball late in the third in its own territory, and USC gets great pressure on Nolan on this play. He kind of, he, he, uh, you know, he dances around a little bit. He identifies Silas Bolden downfield and he, and he delivers the ball to him. If the ball's on the money, that's a first down for Oregon state. And that drive keeps moving. But Nolan was so pressured that he kind of threw off of his back foot. And because of that, he airmailed the ball just a touch over Silas Bolden's head. USC comes down with it. Uh, say our right picked it off for USC returned at 14 yards to Oregon state's 26. And just like that, USC's got a scoring opportunity uh, and then once the once they flipped to the to the other side of the field after the fourth quarter break, uh, Travis Dye capitalized on a seven yard touchdown run. USC's first touchdown of the game came in the fourth quarter on a fourth and two Crazy. play. Pretty impressive stuff from the Oregon State defense. But unfortunately for the Beavers, uh, they they did let up their 
on a fourth and two play where you got a chance again to get off the field. Uh, they just they just couldn't quite do it there. Yeah, that was a that was a tough one. Travis Dye had a great game though. Um, hats off to him. Yeah, a familiar face for Beaver fans. I've seen a lot of him over the years, and he's the same way as Caleb Williams. He's not the quickest in the world. He's just slippery. He's hard to tackle, and they had a hand on him before he, you know, just slips free and got right into the end zone. Penalties cost Oregon State on its next drive, and again, we've talked so much about the, the turnovers being a key part of this game, but Oregon State only had six penalties in this game for, I I think, 35 yards. USC had six as well. So it wasn't like there was this huge discrepancy there. Uh, Oregon State, I thought, played pretty disciplined football as far as the penalties go. But on this one drive, when Oregon State gets down 10 to 7, needs points, uh, we see see those kind of rear their head there. Oregon State gets down into the red zone, hands the ball off to Damian Martinez on, I I believe, what was a third down run. I, I could be wrong there, but... He got around the left side, had about 10 to 15 yards and, and what would have been a first and goal, uh, but a holding call on Treshawn Harrison pulls the ball back. And as Angie kind of went through the sequence earlier, but then Oregon State gets a delay of game, pushes the ball back even further, and then Everett Hayes comes on for a 46-yard field goal and misses it wide right. So Oregon State gets into the red zone. You're saying, okay, the Beavers are, what, 15 for 15, 16 of 16 so far on the year. You're thinking this is like this is money for the Beavers, right? Well, that's where USC's bread and butter defensively is too. And um, the Trojans didn't necessarily out-execute the Beavers there. The Beavers kind of just shot themselves in in the foot. Uh, But that ended up being Oregon State's first unsuccessful red zone trip of the year. And sure enough, that was the difference in the game, right? I mean, that that drive, right? If if Oregon State gets points there, I think the Beavers either tie or or win it. Um, But did you feel like that was kind of where the game was decided? I do. I do. Um, because momentum then got lost. I mean, you have this big run, your first single, and then immediately you see the yellow flag on the field. Um, Treshawn Harrison gets called for this holding call. And and then I, I think the Beavers could have recovered from that, but then to have the delay game right after that, it just, it felt like all momentum was just kind of lost. And then you miss the field goal. Um, USC gets the ball back and, you know, you're just hoping you can try to get the ball back one more time to, which they did. They did. I mean, give credit to Oregon State's defense at the end of this game. I mean, the Beavers defensively just played the lights out all night long, but there were a couple of drives where the Beavers needed stops and they forced back to back three and outs. I mean, you cannot ask for anything more there other than, I, I guess, a turnover, but the Beavers executed to perfection at the end of that game. The defense put Oregon State in position to tie or take the lead multiple times. And the last of those, uh, came when Oregon or when uh, sorry when USC had the ball deep in its own territory. It started at the five, uh, moved back a couple of yards. Caleb Williams is thrown out of his own end zone, and, and USC has to punt from its own two yard line. Anthony Gould returns the punt thirteen yards to USC's twenty two, and you're thinking, "Wow, Oregon State's got great field position here. This is a perfect opportunity." Uh, and, and sure enough, Jam Griffin runs in for an eighteen yard touchdown. And there it is. Oregon State's got a 14-10 lead with 441 left in the game. You're thinking, okay, field goals out of the equation for USC. Oregon State's done an incredible job keeping them out of the end zone all night. How confident were you after that Jam Griffin touchdown that Oregon State might have just won the game there? Yeah, I mean, I think that Beaver fans were back in it. um, But we hadn't heard name Jordan Addison all game long. And it was kind of a matter of time. Um, and, and like I said, Caleb Williams had been kind of struggling all day. Um, it kind of, it, as they went down the field, you kind of just felt, but they scored quick. I mean, it was, I mean, there's still a minute left. Um, so I think, I don't know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this feels a little Fresno-like. Let's see Oregon yeah. State just march down the field. And Race, uh, sorry. Uh, Race, take us through that 20-yard touchdown pass to to Jordan Addison from Kayla Williams. I mean, USC had marched what 84 yards down the field or, well, I guess before that it was 63 yards. Uh, They had put this drive together, uh, but let's rewind it a little bit to the fourth down conversion for Caleb Williams. So take us through that. And then what are you thinking when, when Jordan Addison caps off that drive with a 20 yard touchdown? (sighs) I mean, it's just, it was, it was a crusher because it was a great play, but it was one of those plays where, 
God, if the safety was just a yard, maybe even a couple feet over to the left, he at the very least is going to get on his hands on it. To be fair, it was an incredible throw by Caleb Williams. I watched a lot of him at Oklahoma last year and a lot of him from this year. It always seems like whenever his team needs him to play well, he does play well, whether it was against Texas or Kansas last year and this year against Oregon State. And, you know, when they get that throw, it it was a killer because the at that point, you almost don't have enough time left. There was a little, probably a little more minute, two minutes to go. And with when you have a two-minute drill, you really need to be able to pass the ball down the field, you know, push the ball down the field. You can't really run it a ton in a two-minute drill. And just with the way the Oregon State passing game had gone the entire game, I wasn't instilled with a ton of confidence. And I don't know, it felt that pass, just the way it was, how close it was to potentially being tipped or maybe even intercepted, it really just felt like a death blow from the USC Trojans. To Angie's point, it set up a, a situation that was very similar to the one Oregon State had just converted on two weeks prior at Fresno State. You've got just over a minute left. You've got two timeouts. Um, you know, you have the ball here down three. All you need is a field goal to send it to overtime, but a touchdown would win you the game. And then uh, Max Williams intercepts Chance Nolan with 35 seconds left and, and ends the game there on Nolan's fourth interception. Uh, that's that's the final big play in the game and, and kind of concludes this section of this episode where we uh, go through this this thing chronologically. So now let, let's highlight some of the good and the bad from an Oregon State perspective. So uh, we've talked throughout this whole show about how that was probably the best defensive performance we've seen uh, in, in probably the last decade from Oregon State. But if, if there was one thing that stood out to me defensively, it was the thing that I mentioned earlier about the, the unique blitz packages we saw and uh, multiple, a couple of the guys after the game, you know, Kyrie Fisher and, and, and Jonathan Smith both highlighted that Trent Bray came in with a very unique game plan. It was something that the guys bought into from day one of, of game prep. Um, and it was something that, that they hadn't put on tape yet. You know, these, these various blitz packages, uh, a little more zone coverage as, as, as Angie said, Oregon state had been very man heavy up to that point they kind of threw things at the Trojans that they hadn't put on film yet. And I think that was probably part of why the Beavers found so much success defensively. I, I agree. I loved the mix, the mixing up of the packages, the personnel, um, the creativity was off the charts. Um, yeah. I, now Oregon state needs to work. I mean, Trent Bray just probably helped his resume a lot with that one. So um, I, I think he made found some believers out there. Yeah, they, they threw everything at the Trojans, and a lot of it worked. You hold one of the best offenses in the country to 17 points. You hold a Heisman Trophy contender to under 200 yards passing and under 50% completion. And really, every phase of the defense played well. The pass coverage was excellent. They never got a turnover out of it, but you know they knocked down a lot of passes. The line was definitely the standout for me. For definitely the part of the defense that I think most people had questions about, the front seven as to whether or not they could effectively rush the passer, they were all over Caleb Williams. Yeah. I And, and you know, Con, or Carter, you and I have talked so much about the deficiencies with the defensive line. 11 quarterback hurries. We haven't seen that in a long, long time in Corvallis. And a couple of pass breakups at the line of scrimmage, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Simon Sandberg had one of those where he nearly tipped it up to himself and, and probably would have run it in for a pick yeah. six if yeah. he had came down with it. Um, but, yeah, just – all around a very impressive showing in, in pass rush and pass defense. But were you guys concerned at all about Oregon State's run defense? Because the first three games, we had talked about how Oregon State had completely flipped the script in, in that phase and had pretty much shut teams out uh, as far as the running game goes. I, I, I know Montana State um, got some got some yardage on it, but that was a very unique scheme and, and kind of a kind of a throwaway game as, as far as that's concerned, in my opinion. But to give up 133 yards on 19 carries to Travis Dye. Uh, he was averaging seven yards a carry. I mean, that's the kind of game that if Oregon State puts that together, we're saying, you know, that's a good game by the Oregon State run game. Um, did, did that stand out to you as, as, as much as, as kind of a liability of that defensive performance? Not to me. I Because I think it was, it didn't, they never really pieced together. They got some big chunk runs, um, which I guess you don't want to see, but it didn't. Um, it never felt like they were able to really truly establish a running game. Um, they kept trying to pass. They, they wanted to, to pass the ball and, and 
Oregon State was making life hard. I mean, Oregon State wanted them to run the ball, and they kept wanting to pass. So, um, no, I, I didn't think it was – like I said, it didn't bother me that they accrued that. Like I said, most of that was in big chunk runs by Travis Dye. Yeah, I was a little worried going into the game specifically because of Travis Dye. If you've watched Pac-12 football the past four years, you know how good Travis Dye is and how hard he is to bring down. And he had a good game, but it's not the game where you – look at the box score and you look at Travis Dye and you say, okay, he is why the Trojans won this game. He had a good game, not a great game, but like Angie said, USC wanted to throw the ball all over the lot. Caleb Williams threw the ball 36 times. I mean, that's, that's a lot. It's not like they were trying. It's not like they handed the ball off 40 times and he only threw it 25 times. Yeah. I, I like that point there because while Travis Dye got what he wanted on the ground, that wasn't the the USC game plan. They wanted to try to move the ball through the air and and credit Oregon State's defense for taking that away. Um, you know, USC, to Angie's point again, picked up some, some chunk yardage on the ground, but it wasn't like they were just going to feed Travis Dye the ball over and over again. They wanted to keep balance there, and, and Oregon State took that balance away. If um, I'm a USC the- fan today, though, I'm a little – I mean, they won, so they're happy, but I'd be a little bit upset – that they didn't try to run the ball more. Yeah. On the flip side, Oregon State really established something in the running game, I think, with J.M. Griffin there. Uh, You know, he only had 84 yards, but that was on 12 carries, so very efficient, seven yards per carry, found the end zone, of course, on that 18-yard touchdown late in the game to give the Beavers the lead uh, with about four minutes left. Felt like a breakout performance for Jam Griffin. I, I think he was far and away the most productive of the three running backs. Deshaun Fenwick uh, was right around two and a half yards per carry. Damian Martinez had that big run that was called back, but outside of that, didn't didn't really shine. Uh, did we did we maybe see Jam Griffin earn himself some more playing time? I mean, does he move up the depth chart? Does he become one of the the featured backs? You know, is is this a is this a, a true breakout game for him? Do you think my, I mean, if, if my Twitter at halftime, I said my biggest halftime adjustment is to give jam the ball. Um, what I saw from, you know, and you guys know, I love Damian Martinez. I've been super high on him this year, but he's had some vision issues, not seeing the holes. He's not hitting the right hole. And for whatever reason, Deshaun Fenwick seems to trip himself up at the line of scrimmage every single time. I mean, he's, he's tripped up. What I saw from jam is someone that hit the hole fast, quick, and was out before anybody really knew. I mean, he reminded me some of, of the BJ Baylor-esque runs, um, the Quiz Rogers type runs where you're, he's through the first level before anybody really has, has seen it. So um, I think his vision, his balance was way better. Um, his blocking looked decent. So um, I saw him pick up a really good block on one of the passing plays. So um, absolutely, I say, give him QB one shot and, or running back one spot. I would like my, my personal opinion is that the coaches, and I don't know if this is a Lindgren call or if this is a steward call. I would love to see them ride the hot hand. I mean, if, if jam's the one picking up yards, then don't sub Deshaun in, you know, on second down, let him, let him run. Um, let him get that rhythm. That's, that's my personal take on it. Let jam cook. Let jam cook. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't like the substitution pattern we've seen so far the first four games of yeah. constantly rotating running backs in and out. They're, they're not able to get that rhythm and establish kind of that, what they need to, to do to, to do their job. Go ahead, Grace. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have a running back room by committee and that's what the Beavers have because they're really deep at running back. They generally go three, four deep and that's great that you can keep subbing guys in and you keep having guys that are fresh but it's like taking a pitcher out in the seventh inning when he's throwing a perfect game. Why would you do that? I I get it. You have this set rotation that you want to stick to. So guys get their allotted carries. Maybe they don't get hurt. But when jam is running for again, 84 yards on 12 carries by far the best in the game, the next most was Fenwick with 29. That's over, that's over 50 yard difference. So when jam is running like that, you need to keep feeding the hot hand. And if this doesn't earn him more playing time, then I got some serious questions for that coaching staff. I feel like a lot of roles are still kind of up for grabs in that running back room. And especially with Trey Lowe eventually coming back, you know, we think of him as the third down guy. Well, Damian Martinez has been the third down back uh, in his absence. And while he hasn't shined there, I mean, he has made a couple of, of key plays. And so I think he's earned himself playing time. 
Trey Lowe has the breakaway speed that differentiates himself from the rest of the group. He has the receiving ability as well. Uh, so I'm curious what this rotation looks like when he gets back, because I think Jam Griffin was probably the fourth guy there yeah. uh, entering entering the season. And now he looks like the most explosive running back in that room. So when Lowe gets healthy, I'm curious how that plays out uh, in, in the passing game, switch, switching gears here. Oregon State really spread the ball around, and we knew it was going to have to do that with Luke Musgrave out. I mean, you lose Musgrave, your leading receiver uh, at what at Fresno State, and you think, man, if that's long term, that's going to hurt Oregon State in a game like USC, where you need a go-to guy. Well, Chance Nolan, to his credit, uh, really spread the ball around. Receivers, I felt like, were getting open with regularity, which of course has been a concern of ours. Um, and and to spread the ball around like that, uh, I, I thought was impressive from that whole group. The not so good for Oregon State, and you know we're we're running low on time here, so we're gonna kind of power through this these next couple of sections. But the not so good, we've talked about the turnovers, we talked about the untimely penalties. I just felt like the offensive efficiency as a whole wasn't there. You know, a couple of a couple of nice plays here and there, and you know, big gains, the thirty yard play to to Coletto. Um, but it, it, Oregon State wasn't able to sustain anything, and I think that was where the that was why Oregon State only scored 14 points. Of course, the turnovers, you know, limited opportunities. But I just didn't feel like when Oregon State had the ball, they were um, they were putting drives together. And that's kind of been the complaint earlier, or you know, with especially at Fresno, it just seemed like things were coming in spurts, and there was no consistency of of sustaining any drives. So that definitely is something Oregon State is going to need to work on in the in the weeks ahead. Yeah, just sustaining drives was the problem. They they got some good chunk plays passing, got some good chunk plays running. Just putting it together in the end was – it wasn't their day on offense. Defensive execution on the final drive too. I mean, I think it was disappointing to see that giving USC uh, what oh, I think I've said 84 yards in a, in a couple of minutes after the Beavers had played this complete game and, and they had accomplished pretty much all of their goals except for taking the ball away for – man, at that point, 55 minutes, and then you yeah. just get one letdown drive and it decides the game. I, I think that was, it was disappointing to see that because I felt like the defense deserved to hold USC out of the end zone on that drive because they had all game and, and I, I think they exceeded expectations. They played up to the standard that they had hoped. Uh, and so just from my perspective, it was it was disappointing to see that letdown there on a couple of plays. And I, I wouldn't read too much into it because I, I think, again, you know, USC's offense is so talented that it was going to score the ball eventually. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Were you guys concerned with with anything you saw on that drive? Because I just felt like that was great execution from from the. Trip. I mean, it's SC. I mean, and, and what we saw was Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison being Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison. I mean, at, at some level, we were going to see them make a big play. I, I yeah, I wasn't disappointed. It just. I mean, yeah, it kind of sucked for Oregon State after playing such a good game, but you could argue there were some areas that Oregon State could have maybe capitalized on on the fumble recovery or interception on one of those tip balls. I mean, there was a lot of things that I'm sure I'm sure the film watching film today was not fun for no. these for the players. No. Yeah, that last drive was the first drive that Caleb Williams really looked comfortable throwing the ball. Took him almost the entire game. I don't think that's anything to read into because when you hold a player that that's good, that's that good to as poorly as he played for the first 57 minutes. But at the end of the day, there are some times when great players just make great plays. And that's just what Caleb Williams did on the last drive. Let's revisit our keys to the game that we provided on Thursday. So offensively, I said Oregon State could not leave any points unscored. And that, again, I I know that it sounded very obvious, like, duh, like obviously you want to score as many points as possible. But it was it was my way of saying Oregon State has to value the ball every time they get it. They have to take advantage of every opportunity. And when I revisit that, I have to say, man, that was just, it was a resounding failure. Oregon State just did not do that. You, you cough the ball up four times, you get into the red zone and, and you don't capitalize because you have the, the penalties there. Um, I, those, those miscues were the difference in this game. Those are the reasons that USC won. And I think looking back on it, it was, it was an apt key because Oregon state had, man, they had all the momentum at times. And, and it just felt like if they scored one more time, they would not necessarily run away with it, but they would, 
they would have a, a big enough lead that you'd feel a little more comfortable in it. And just the untimely turnovers and penalties. Uh, I just felt like at times Oregon State. They score on one of those drives. And... They score on one of those turnover drives. They win the game. Yeah. Race, did you have, I know we didn't get you on here on Thursday, but did you have any keys to the game mentally that you were saying, all right, Oregon State has to do this if it's going to win? Yeah, my number one was don't turn the ball over. So <laughs> pretty pretty resounding failure because like we said earlier, that has that was USC's MO on defense was get turnovers, get your offense X possession. And if you look at the box score, it's a very even game. You know, SC outgained them by 37 yards, outpassed them by 13 yards, outrushed them by 24 yards. USC got 4.8 yards per carry. Oregon State got 4.9. They both had six penalties. You know, time of possession was a 30-second difference. Yeah. A very, very even game, except for that albatross of four turnovers for Oregon State. And even if it's, you know, three, two, two. one, <laughs> If it's zero turnovers, Oregon State probably wins by 10 points. But, you know, that's that's something that Chance Nolan, I think, is going to learn from. I think that's something this team is going to learn from because they're going to watch film. Like you said, this is going to be a rough film session for them because they're going to watch this and be like, we had it. We had them. And, you know, if we can make some corrections here or there. I think we can be a really good team. When I outlined that key to the game, I said – the reason we're going with this, and I think it's a key for both teams, is because in a shootout type game where it's, you know, a first team to six or seven touchdowns is going to win, you have to value the ball because if if you're not scoring, the other team is, and you're not going to be able to keep up. But obviously the game played out in, in the complete opposite direction. It was, a, it was a matter of, all right, you have to take advantage of the ball because scoring opportunities are going to be few and far between. So when you do get them, you'd better capitalize on them. Uh, and, and Oregon State didn't always do that. USC didn't always do it either, to be fair. Um, but uh, obviously the Trojans didn't turn the ball over, and, and, and that's why they reigned supreme on Saturday. Defensively, Angie and I had the same key here. Just establish the pass rush, generate some pressure on Caleb Williams, uh, you, you can't give him time to operate because that's when he gets comfortable. And if a Heisman caliber quarterback is getting comfortable, he's probably going to torch you, especially when he has the likes of Jordan Addison to throw to Brendan Rice. Um, but Oregon State, again, with the pressure that the quarterback hurries, the eight pass breakups downfield, I felt like all elements of the pass defense were firing on a level that we have not seen in a very long time at Oregon State. Yep, that was a resounding yes. They passed that one. Caleb Williams finished 16 of 36, by the way. That's the final line there. And I, I think we'll look back on this season, and, and it's very possible that that's the blip on the radar, right? I mean, if, if Caleb Williams plays up to his potential the rest of the way, and I expect that he will, I don't think you're going to see a performance like that from him again. And I, I think, you know, at the end of the season, we'll say, man, that, that was just a great game by Oregon State's defense, you know? Caleb Williams has, has proved time and again that that he is a very good quarterback. So, yeah, Re resounding yes on on that yes. end. Uh, mm -hmm. Race, did did you have anything defensively that you were looking for before before we get out of here? Yeah, I was really curious to see how the secondary of Oregon State matched up with those speedy receivers for USC. They obviously have Jordan Addison, the Blatnikoff winner from last year, one of if not the best receiver in the country. And you look at Oregon State, all those all-conference players they have back there, Rajon Wright, Jaden Grant, you know, just keep going down the list of players that they have. I thought they did a great job. They were all over those receivers. They batted a lot of passes down. They got a lot of help from the defensive line, making uh, Caleb Williams uncomfortable. But I thought the secondary did as good a job as you possibly can against a receiving core that talented. Yeah, Oregon State after the game really, uh, really shouted out the the turnout from Beaver Nation, the the crowd, the atmosphere, and everything. I, I think played so much of a role in this game as well, and and it was part of the reason Oregon State had such a great defensive performance. Uh, Jonathan Smith said, you know, it was it was unfortunate that we couldn't reward the fan base with a big win, and I, I know the team man in, in the locker room. Jonathan Smith said, disappointed locker room. No way around it. This this one hurts. It's going to stick with us for a long time. And if you didn't catch the uh, the post game press conference, head to our YouTube page if, if you're not watching us live here on, on YouTube. It's it's Beaver Blitz video on YouTube. We have the post game video. Watch Do it. yourself a favor and watch Brandon Kipper. Brandon Kipper. 
you can tell this just means so much to him. He, he said he had never in his, what, four years now at Oregon State had an opportunity to play an opponent like that in an atmosphere like that with the stakes as high as they are. And you could tell it just killed him that that the Beavers were that that they came up short there. Um, the passion really came through in, in that interview. And, and it always does with Brandon Kipper. I mean, Angie can back me up here. He's, he's one of the best interviews Oregon state football has produced in, in quite some time. I, I watched it and I thought, you know what, when his playing career is done, bring him back as a coach. Yeah. Because there was some passion there that, um, yeah, watch it, do yourself a favor and watch it. That's all the time we have for this episode of the damn podcast. I want to let race plug uh, synthetic sports and, and the Beaver Blitz socials again, because uh, he joined us here to, to help recap USC. Thanks race, by the way, for, for joining us and, and oh, thank you guys for having insight, me. but, uh, but plug a couple of your things before we get out of here. Yeah. Synthetic sports on YouTube. That's where we upload our longer YouTube style videos. Uh, Beaver Blitz on TikTok, Beaver Blitz on Twitter, Beaver Blitz on Instagram. We post a couple times a week. Um, for all the best uh, Beaver news and coverage. Follow Beaver Blitz on all those socials and subscribe to Synthetic Sports on YouTube. Do it. It'll make me happy. And <laughs> don't people want to make me happy? Like, why wouldn't you want to? We want and, a happy and, rate. And, and then also subscribe to Beaver Blitz too on YouTube. That too. We, Do that we too. We are so close to hitting a big milestone, guys. Yep. Let's, get so to a, let's get to 1,000 subscribers. Uh, Man, maybe not by the end of September, but let's let's do it midway through October. I, I think it's a realistic goal. And then, of course, head to beaverblitz.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Take advantage of this great promo we've got going on. Uh, we are going to be your source for Oregon State news throughout the remainder of the season. On the podcast side, we're going to be back on Thursday to preview Oregon State's massive road contest at Utah. Oregon State gets back-to-back huge games to open Pac-12 play. I'll be on hand in Salt Lake City, but before I head out, we're going to hop back on here on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts for a preview episode. But until then, subscribe to Synthetic Sports, make race happy, follow Angie Machado on Twitter at Angie Machado One. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you on Thursday for another episode of the Damn Podcast. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.